Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. To interact with us, we love seeing you live every Thursday night. So hello to all of you joining in live from Facebook and YouTube land. Uh, remember that the chats are always lit and your ch chat could show up on the show. If you can't catch us live, love seeing you in your, uh, love seeing you. Yeah, we're not, not going to see you there, but you'll hear us there in your favorite podcasting app or on the replays. So, you know me, my name is John Ruark, I'm past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. Next up, we have Robert Johnson. Hey, Robert. Howdy, howdy. Good to be with you guys. Waukegan Lodge 78, past master, current sitting secretary at uh, Space Novum Lodge, 1183 in Libertyville, Illinois, the premier education lodge in the uh, jurisdiction, the grand jurisdiction of Illinois, and also the uh, pro tem secretary at my mother lodge, Waukegan 78. For life? For mm, life. Just a couple. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> How many lives? Apotheosis style. Exactly. Like, I'll just be up there and... Burst into flames. The, 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 the minutes will just write themselves. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, AI to do that. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Hey, hey, Joe Martinez. Damn glad to be here. Um, Joe Martinez, still worshipful master, Manassa Lodge One Eighty Two. Um, yeah, member of lots of other things and stuff. And uh, yeah, super jazzed. Super jazzed to have you. And Jason Richards, how are you, Jason? I'm good. How are you, John? Great. Awesome. I'm Jason Richards, past master of Acacia Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821 and Lafayette Lodge number 79 as well. Glad to be here tonight. Woo! Great to have you. Yep. All right. So, um, as usual, I'd like to give a special shout out to our patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome. Head over to patreon.com slash Masonic Roundtable if you want to chip in a few bucks and upgrade Joe's webcam. Or or buy us more soda streams. No, not a sponsor. Not hashtag not, not a sponsor, sponsor. but <laughs> absolutely delicious. Yes, someone's got to reach out for a deal. No, our Patreon funds did not buy a soda stream. That's all like, our own let's, funding. Let's yeah. just, that was a joke. I don't know. I mean, I, I want you to be hydrated, Jason. Oh, okay. And we're all getting hydrated. Okay. Good. Good. Bubbles. All right, tarot card of the week. Yeah. What you want? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so. Let's see. I, I stumbled upon a tarot deck in a bookstore around here. I'm, I'm on travel this week, and what bookstore? What bookstore? Uh, a Barnes and Noble. There's there's still a Barnes and Noble <laughs> out there. Surprise. Wow. Barnes Good and hour. Noble with tarot decks, dude. They had a whole I'm stack. Confused. It was wild. I mean, more than one. More than one. Like they stack. have a. They have a decent selection under just like self-help. It's on the end caps and like maybe a four foot by five foot section. Yep. It's pretty exactly. rad. So I said, Joe, you, you got to get this one. He's like, bro, I already got it. So what, what deck are you using tonight, Joe? We're using the Star Trek The Next Generation tarot deck. Yes. <laughs> um, I think John was going to try and surprise me with it but i already got it um because i have I the best the best tarot card giver in the world that's my wife barbara um mine is my wallet yeah no but yeah um i don't think my wife is uh, ever going to run out of gifts for me because there's always another tarot card deck that i do not have so yeah so we're gonna go with the star trek the next generation tarot deck and i'm shuffling now so um, Joe, while you're shuffling um gotta put this up on the screen we yeah some, some guy named glenn saying greetings from from california yeah brother glenn he um so short story about him uh tmr super fan uh got to meet jason and i at uh uh manassa lodges july stated he uh came on a business trip and asked if he could come to lodge and it just so happened there were two dudes from uh, the masonic roundtable there so got to sit and lodge with him really cool cat uh, great brother uh, got to partake with him and uh, and then he hung out with Jason and I so yeah absolutely Glenn welcome man yeah 
Hashtag not a sponsor. Hashtag Glenn story is not a sponsor, but Glenn, you can become a Patreon if you so choose. That's true. Um, yeah, indeed. All right. So we've shuffled. Ready? Here clearing, we go. Clearing the energy from the deck. I guess I got my crystal. Yes. Okay. So we've got the chariot, the chariot, which is the starship enterprise. Okay. It's missing some symbolism there. Yes. A bit. Yes. Just a wee bit. Yes. But we got the chariot, so chariot. I don't have a cool side picture, so I'm not to hold this up the whole time. But um, yeah. but it is it is an action card, right? It's yeah. forward momentum. It's usually very aggressive, not unlike some of the knights. What what would you say, Robert? I don't know if it's aggressive. No, it's an action taker. But yeah, he's not like yeah. an app kicker. Like he's not running up and punching in people. This in the Star Trek way. Oh, in the Star Trek, way. we're gonna call it determined. You like boldly them. go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Willpower. Ooh, I like that to boldly. Yeah, Ooh. that's that's what's gonna be. You know to what, Cherry? From now on, boldly goes. Boldly like goes. It. Where two thought. other weird sphinx creatures hadn't gone before. <laughs> yep. Because they're not there. I know. Maybe they're in. Yes. So, yeah. Those are, the, those are the two warp core engines, or the two engines. Yeah, there you to go. Make, to make it so. That's. <laughs> make it so make it Love so. It. yeah that's really cool i mean if you really think about it the re- you you were t- you were saying that there's no shortage of tarot decks out there and it's because it really isn't it there's just no copyright on the tarot in, in that kind of a way anybody can make one it's um, universal it is totally universal you slap it on anything you want you can grab your favorite movie we can make a Chuck E. Cheese. No, you know what? We're not going to make a Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> joke. I, I I'm not shipping in five bucks for that. Absolutely. That's, not. that's what you call cursed imagery. <laughs> not happening. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's already out there. So. <laughs> now, Chucky Tarot might be interesting. Ooh. Yeah, maybe. All right. So tonight we're going to boldly go into the concept for real this time of apotheosis and uh its relationship to religion divinity and um oh soda stream showing up hi joey that's my soda stream delivery boy and, and i think it's it's an interesting like masonic adjacent topic because you know we really don't directly address apotheosis in Freemasonry, but there's lots of little clues along the way, right? So that could be argued. And this is one of those topics that like, you have to look at it through the lens of Masonry, or you have to look at it through the lens of, you know, what Masonry was informed by and what Masonry teaches. So, um, so tonight we'll talk about that. I see lots of stink faces. So I want to, I want to explore deeper about that, but let's start at the top. What is apotheosis? What does it actually stand for? What is the generic concept of that. And we'll start with Robert since uh, this is his jam. I, I mean, honestly, it it can be as simple as reintegration. Um, because that in and of itself, that that concept of a reintegration with a higher power or, and I say power because that's going to mean like whether that's the universe or whether that's God or, you know, whatever it is. So it's a reintegration into that thing, um, which higher power, mm-hmm. which happens at the point of transition that you, your, your body, your physical body dies and you would then reintegrate, uh, the idea of, uh, the, the play Roma, the where he has kind of Gnostic idea of where God lives, uh, not the lesser God, but the the greater God who whom has no real idea we even exist. Uh, we we reintegrate with them, um, but it also you see it in uh, the the famed uh, apotheosis of Washington, which was made famous by Dan Brown's Lost Symbol, uh, the idea that man can transcend. Uh, the even even in a sort of philosophical way, you, the man who transcends mere man into godlike status, 
which is certainly what we've done with Washington and revered him in such a way that he is, uh, you know, almost infallible if without historical, you know, facts behind it. Like you just look at the the mere story of the man and you're like, holy cow. Um, but we do. And then the- in like American Masonic circles, you take that dial and you crank it up to 11. You crank it up to 11, just like in the, uh, this is spinal tap. That's right. <laughs> it goes to um, 11. It goes to 11. So, yeah, I mean, uh, th- this is a really neat idea. And it's been around since the beginning of everything, whether that was, uh, you know, your, your Egyptian uh, kind of philosophies of, of becoming one with the stars again or uh, you know becoming a constellation or uh, it all these really interesting ideas kind of uh, have always been around we've got this intrinsic sort of uh calling to believe in it it's like you know like a dog knows that he's got to spin around three times before he lays down because he's got to look for predators nobody teaches him that in the same way like i think humans kind of nobody teaches us this we just know that there's something uh to to achieve that's just my two cents i like it so joe yeah um well yeah we'll we'll get back to my sting face later because i think that Freemasonry and apotheosis are directly intertwined. Um, 100% agree. We just talk about it through allegory. So for your everyday reader. Directly intertwined like this. Like that. Oh, I love that. Yes. Anyway. um, I was in fourth grade once. And still are. Yes. Um, But but let's go back to the the origins of it. I mean, I think to, to Robert's point, it is a story that transcends time, right? Is man's quest to leave the meat suit um, and join or participate or become something more than, than what he is, right? And for some people, it's a noble quest. For some people, it's a quest that leads to ruin. But, you know, I, I think across all the different peoples of the past, there's this overarching story about man trying to, as Robert said, reintegrate with the divine, right. In whatever form that chooses, you know, he, he brought up some fantastic examples, the ancient Egyptians. Um, they had a couple of different places where their Kings would become gods, but the most notable one was at that exact moment of death where they would travel, you know, to the stars and join with Osiris and, and actually become those divine beings that they personified on earth. Uh, the Greeks, you know, I'm unless I'm sure they were the pharaoh, yes, because they actually were gods. On correct, um, but then they got to join their their god bros um, and occasionally sisses up in the stars, you know, um, when they made that journey. So, um, but the Greeks, you know, uh, you know Hercules or Heracles, perfect example. Um, the Hindus talk about it. Uh, Buddhism, I mean, look at look at Buddhism, the attainment of of Buddhahood, right there represents that, that ultimate state of, of reaching enlightenment or that divine state, you know, so perfect example. Uh, and then in your Abrahamic faiths, I think the most notable example is obviously a mortal man on earth who is God as well, you know, and then transcends that through death. His name is the Jesus, you know, or Jesus for our South American friends, you know, well, you know, he came back to life, but Enoch, great example. I just talked about him tonight at our Royal Arts chapter. Love me some Enoch. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not this concept of apotheosis. It's not some weird new age thing. We've been talking about it for thousands upon thousands of years. Elijah, sun card, boom. You get it. You get it. there. Yep. Spot on. Not Elijah, who was the guy with the bears and the bald head. Ooh, someone asked a fantastic question. Can I bring up a question? No. Sure. Okay. Mr. or Mrs. Nunya Business uh, brings up a great name. Um, this is a fantastic question for the, for the audio folks. Here's the problem, it says. With reintegration, God exists within the universe instead of out of it. Isn't our philosophy specifically indicating that God is outside the universe? Well, what philosophy I, are you talking about here? Well, are they referring yeah. to Freemasonry? Or religion? Because that I can't figure out. I, I don't even yeah. know. I don't even know if it matters. Like it doesn't matter that you can say that 
uh, God exists within the universe instead of out of it. It is the universe. Well, that's the. It's just theism it's versus pantheism versus panentheism argument. It, yeah, right? but it still do, it still doesn't matter because all you're doing in the end of this is pouring a cup of water back into the bucket of water. It doesn't well, matter where the bucket is. It's just well, you're, you're actually taking that and wherever that is, you're re, you're reintegrating it. I and to that point, like. I don't think it matters if, if God exists outside of time and space or, or within it, because within, when, you know, with reintegration, you know, it, it could be very possible that you flow outside of time and space to reintegrate. So there, nothing says you have you to go. stay within the known universe. Well, that to that point, and I think what John was, was kind of alluding to a little bit as well was, there's this concept that it's such a bad thing if the divine or God, whatever name you choose to give it, dips a toe into this existence, right? Like if if he or she or whatever is not separate from that existence, then they're not God. And oh, I'm sorry, I got, wars have been fought over that. I gotta, you know, I gotta call BS on that, right? Because <laughs> you know, let's let let me take this hat off, put on my my Christian hat, right? Um, if that were true, then why would that super awesome dude named Jesus come and live in the world and be divine at the same time. Right. So it's, it's kind of hard to answer that question right? because he was not, he didn't live apart and exist separately from the world. He was of the world and in the world. Right. And that's why he they was, got, he was in the world, but not of it. But then I they, mean, but then he died. We are told to be in the world, but not of it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Also, yeah. He also says, you know, I'm the son of God, the same as you are. So I think no Jesus, Jesus is just, you are not gods. Mm -hmm. He's right. just, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a statement of equity. So this is a really good way. I think to, to think about it, Steve Boyles would becoming conscious in higher degrees of being, you know, conscious of consciousness be a form of apotheosis. It's almost like breaking out of the matrix, right? What's well, like well, so actually I, go ahead. I, I wanted to pull that thread because in some of the research for the show too, the concept of theosis, right, reintegrating or becoming divine like, um, actually has a very broad spectrum. <clears throat> it's really not a binary. Um, throughout a lot of different cultures and religions and history, you know, it's not um, solely at the point of death that there's there's um, ways you can dip your toes into. Um, to 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 the divine and so i guess what, what like steve is saying is that when you hear the term like I'm, I'm elevated to a higher plane of existence right you you have that that spiritual ascension that it's that is also a ladder to heaven as well so um it can be argued and has been argued by uh, a lot of uh theologians that you know we are on our quest actually it's our quest while we're here on earth to achieve perfection uh, we may never get there but at on that climb up the ladder we are we are uh, becoming more and more integrated right so um it, well it can, closer to possible. the source right but i'm saying you you can be like for lack of a better term you could be two percent you know um integrated or ten percent integrated as you as you start to you know live your practice it's a venn diagram like milk. You mean no. 2 milk? milk? No. John, John is skim milk. <laughs> I thought you were talking about how milk has like... I'm whole fat per, milk. Per parts per million of pus. But... It's called okay. flavor. 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 Aren't there so, almonds? So okay. yeah, I think, that, I think it's, that's a good, good point to say that uh, elevated, your elevated consciousness uh, in, in certain theology is a path or a a, uh, a slow path toward apotheosis i i would say all no right if if you if you kind of peel the layers off <laughs> off of dogma right let's let's right. you know let's let's be generic in sure. what we're saying and let's let's peel back the onion of of dogma and you know things that people understand that they get passed on from uh generation to generation at the end of the day most 
most, not all, theological bents do have that that ultimate aim of tapping into your human soul, right? Um, and they tell there's different roads to get there, but um, you know, it, it's that it's that process of of reaching towards identifying with and and speaking to that. that there's inner- a difference. There's a difference between divinization and and actually just after death re- reunite reuniting with the creator there's a, there's a big difference there because divinization means that someone can be made godlike now like the pope prior to death right yeah so so you what what we're we're dancing around this kind of inter- this this weird idea and that is ultimately strip away all the dogma because all of it for me is kind of like baloney, right? The idea is uh, it's kind of like that Gnostic idea that the f- you're already dead because you're here. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like the the life, the birth comes at the next stage of existence. Mm-hmm. But within that, we've got all of these archetypes, all these stories, and they all exist because they're all part of different societal structures that were part of and we adhere to those things and genetically maybe in a mindful sort of way we're predisposed to love that kind of cultural explanation of the thing which then enables us to to grasp it and to believe it and because you're going to be emotionally believing of the thing you are creating um, for lack of a better term, like the law of attraction in terms of completing this journey, right? You have to have an emotional connection to your story path in order to move along. And you have to really believe it emotionally for it to happen. And that's different for so many people. The, the real issue I think that, that sometimes comes up is the, the crisis of faith in people who have taken such an objective look all of the things. So we're, we're talking about our, our, uh, our PhDs out there who studied world religions and they just stand back and they go, wow, super agnostic over here. Don't know which one. Um, like I know there's something at the, at the end of the road, but I can't exactly pick a path because I don't fundamentally believe in any of them. So they're forced into a sort of new path, which I think is where new ageism to an extent, and also, uh, you know, science can provide some of that. But ultimately, those paths, it kind of doesn't matter, right? Like, because we refer to this thing as God. Uh, we refer to it as the higher power. We refer to it as all things, right? Masonry calls it the grand architect of the universe. Well, we don't know, right? I mean, there's been a thousand pop culture references out there to uh, kind of explain or you know pull the thread on what God could be, what what the Creator could be. You know, what if what if the Creator just accidentally left his sandwich on the counter, right? And we're the mold. Who I was knows? Gonna say, are we the are we the sandwich there? No. Okay. No, we're the mold, right? <laughs> okay. But. But this also is in line with with a lot of the things that we've been t- talking about for the last you know five six years is the as above so below concept uh, and the concept of uh, a mirrored existence and a return to you know the greater form. Which is also why, like your Gnostic and Hellenistic early church uh, of you know, religious practices were actually much more of that faith, right? That it, a lot of that got lost over time where it was much more spiritual, much more. um... This is a question for Joe and Jason, because here's my question. And I want to pose this and be really careful about how I've asked it. Cause I think I've asked this before. Uh, When we do exegesis today, we look at the meaning of the thing based on the, on, on the texts themselves and we apply what we know about those times historically to those original texts to come up with what they mean. Now, if we look at something like 
the Gnostics, for instance, who wrote, you know, maybe 300 BCE. Even at 300 BCE, do they have a greater historical, contextual understanding of what was written than even we do because they live closer to that time? And thus, does that mean they might have a better understanding of what was originally meant by those texts than even we do today? Uh, I'll, I'll go first if you want. Um, I think the short answer is there is no short answer, but uh, the, the, the brief answer is historical criticism would agree with you that being closer to the source material would give you a better inherent sense of what the text is saying. I think the biggest problem with modern historical criticism, in my opinion, is that we're so far removed from the context of the time that it is so jarring that many people have a hard time wrapping their hands around how did people live and how did people think, um, you know, and it's usually those, those hot button issues that, that are raised today because we can't fathom that system of ethics, that system of morality, that system of law, and that system of, of living that those people had in that time, which was so much different than the way that we live today. Like we cannot wrap our hands around, let's say post-exilic Jews, you know, like we cannot put our minds into that mindset because it just, we were just not raised that way. And we have no frame of reference. And the way that you get that frame of reference is by shutting down those modern sensibilities and actually reading into the history of it and seeing how those people lived and understanding how they lived and not putting any judgments on what you're reading. And I think the biggest problem with most organized systems, and I'll leave it at that, is that there's so much, so many judgment calls made when they're reading into text. And that's how problems start. And that's why people fight. And that's why uh, wars begin and all that other crazy crap. You know what I mean? It's all because it offends the modern sensibilities to think that people back then who are of the same faith group as you thought and believe so much differently than you do. It's anathema to, to modern man. Jason. Okay. So if we take kind of the Cynthia Bourgeau approach with, with Jesus, um, that he was an, you know, apocalyptic, rabbi teacher of the mysteries the mystery a guru um he spoke many times he spoke pretty much all the time in parables and we have accounts throughout the gospels where he will say something and the apostles are like huh what and so while I agree that the closer you are to the time that something is written, the more of an inherent advantage you have to understanding the text, I still think much of the writings and the stories, specifically in the Bible, um, much of the allegory of those stories was meant for a subset of the population who could delve into the deeper hidden meanings behind it. Well, and, and to, you know, put a cherry on top of that, um, great point. I think it's, we need to remember there is no matter what system or things you're delving into or thing you're trying to interpret, you're getting the last known good copy. Right. And let's look at, let's look at, let's take, the, the Torah, right? The first five books. Those were written thousands of years after they had been told via oral tradition, right? So, you know, the earliest copy of Genesis is what? In the post-exile period? Like the one that's written down, complete, you know, I mean, yep. modern Hebrew Bibles today go off the Masoretic text. And that was all common era stuff, right? Nothing before the common era. And we always seem to forget that we think that, Oh, that story was identical to the way it was told 2,500 years ago. Well, it wasn't, it couldn't have been, that's impossible. Right? So the ones that we have and the way that they change based on again, moral interpretation, I guess you, is a good way to say it. Um, 
it has absolutely changed over time. So how do you know you're pushing your moral interpretation on the best known good copy? You don't. Uh, yeah. And that is why spirituality has to be fundamentally an individual internal journey. So back to theosis. Yes, let's get back to the topic. <laughs> Actually, I, this is a good good time to um, share that picture that we were talking about earlier um, when Robert kicked us off about the um, apotheosis of George Washington. Mm -hmm. Right. So we do have that, and I'm bringing it up on the screen here. Um, Which Dan Brown book was that? That was. Um, that's Lost Symbol. That was Lost Symbol, yes. Thank you. Super Masonic book. So you see old George right there in the at six o'clock. And uh, it's really interesting that, that this is part of, you know, Washington DC architecture, right? That we've deified, you know, our, our founding father. And it's just such an interesting thing that we still have on display where we're trying to separate uh, currently, you know, um, religion and politics and all that, but yet we still have this uh, this godlike leader here that we still uh, do the hero worship for uh, George Washington. Hero worship. I think that was pretty apt description right there. Yes. This would be more fitting in most Masonic lodges than, than the typical George Washington picture. Oh, the one where he's standing there next to like something and leaning his arm on and yeah. he's got a really boring apron on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I can find oh. it, there's a popular image also. There's the apotheosis of Lincoln as well. Mm -hmm. I'll look for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, as much as I hate to do this, I got to put esoteric fitness up here because I'm really interested on everybody's thoughts. If we had to guess, what percentage of the Bible is actually allegorical? John. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, and so I, I will have to caveat my answer because um, there are historical sites and historical people that are in the Bible, right? But can you prove the historicity of the actual events and of the actual meanings of what was said? That's where it, the interpretation starts to happen. So um, you, you really cannot use the Bible as a historical document in the current lens of how we, we treat historical, historical documents today, right, through that lens. So that's my huge caveat there. And so if I were to say how much of it is allegorical, I'll kind of defer to the third century um, uh, scholar origin who says that most of it is allegorical. <laughs> what was that? Washington and Lincoln. Holy smokes. I have not seen that before. What um, is he doing? Is, uh, is he bringing him up? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like carrying him up, putting, uh, putting the laurels on wow. Lincoln. Washington's like, dude, the play was bad anyway. Like, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> it's okay. Wow. That's, I've never seen that. Neither have I. Good, good find. So, Joe, what do you think? <sighs> To also throw a caveat on that, to be very careful <laughs> with my answers. But to throw a caveat being, you know, un understanding, and I know Jason does this a lot, and, and I always caveat my my uh, talks about scriptural texts in this way. Jason's going to get us excommunicated. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> what are you I've talking been, about? I've been so flippy floppy lately. It's good. It's all right. So, um, to that point, if we understand that things like the Bible, right? The traditional Old New Testament, that Bible, to your point, was absolutely stories and lessons meant for a small group of people. Then we have to assume that that mythos or story of a people, right? That's what the where that's where myth comes from, right? From the word mythos. Um, it didn't matter whether 
the Garden of Eden was a real historical place, right? It did not matter that, um, you know, the angel Michael was not standing outside of it with a fiery sword, you know, after Adam and Eve ate a fruit, you know? So those things did not matter. And it did not matter when those stories were being told to impart those lessons about God's place in the role of the human being at that time. It did not matter, right? Like they did not say, hey, I'm about to tell you a story, but it's kind of sort of, uh allegorical let's say and then they would tell their story they didn't do that so i would say a fair chunk of what we would consider the modern bible is allegorical but again it's besides the point whether it was historical or not you know um you know as we start to get closer to you know uh the time of judges and the post-exile period and stuff like that to john's point there are absolutely sites that you can cite and people that you can attach historical narrative to 1000%, right? Um, and as we move into the New Testament, absolutely, right? There's extra biblical sources for right. those people right. um, and those places and those things that happen. But again, going back to most of the Old Testament, it didn't matter whether they knew that the top of Mount Moriah was here or it was over here or where the hell is it? Nobody knows. It didn't matter. The point was that lesson that they were teaching to the people that were hearing that story, not reading that story, but hearing that story. But I still say a lot. Robert. Uh, I think the Pentateuch is probably all allegorical. I think with the law. Yeah. And then even like, if I don't know, I would say most, if not all of the Old Testament is allegorical, just based on the idea that uh, there's a lot of it that is quasi-historical, but is also part of older traditions, mm -hmm. um, which then make it mythos which is usually told to impart some sort of value statement. Um, and even so into the gospels, uh, I think that uh, there's, there's a good mix of potentially his, I mean, I think absolutely there's historical value, um, but I don't think there's, Hmm. I think that if you look at like something like the Jefferson Bible, I can look at the Jefferson Bible and I can say, yep, that's a historical document. And I'll, and I'll accept most of it. But with the, uh, you know. You're making me sad over here. The magic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of editorial, editorial pieces. <laughs> the magic. You, take you know what? In that same vein, all kidding aside, and I'm not totally not BSing on you, I would put the KJV in that same in that same book, right? Because there was a lot of editorial uh, coming down the mountaintop when it came to the KJV. It was like, you know, because James didn't like this kind of thing, and he didn't like that kind of thing, and this needed to be reworded because it made mm -hmm. royalty look like crap, you know? So, sorry, guys. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, okay, so 99% allegorical good thing we don't use the king james version for for lodge meetings that would right. be embarrassing i don't yeah it's a good it's i'm glad that a number of jurisdictions like don't have it as you know absolutely required right no one would ever right. absolutely that would, require that would be really king weird james. to put that in, yeah. into Do, law. does any masonic supply store make a masonic bible that is not the king james version i don't, I don't believe know so. i don't think so yeah. i'll be checking that right now live fact checking <laughs> <laughs> so from my standpoint you know when we're talking about historicity versus allegory um you know i just i just gave my diluvian origins remixed presentation for the first time yesterday it was awesome um we talk about you know the the nuanced difference between mythos and an allegory um but that we also emphasize how 
in oral traditions, the oral traditions necessarily change to retain value, benefit, and relevance to the society in which the tradition is taught. And so as we look at, you know, arguably most of the Old Testament as an oral tradition spanning, you know, thousands of years, um, we have to assume that those stories, like a game of telephone, um, were altered in very slight ways to fit the needs of the audience. And I would argue as well that the same goes for the New Testament because the scholars and scribes of the early ch Christian church made copying mistakes, added a whole, you know, potentially added whole pieces like to the Gospel of Mark, um, you know, many of the writings attributed to Paul are, you know, actually forgeries. And those, those, you know, we don't believe were actually written by Paul. And so if they are not historical in the sense that it was a literal account of what occurred by the author who said, you know, by the by, the author who said who they were, um, like then, like the Bible as a his, as a historical record doesn't hold up. Now, that does not at all diminish the power of it as a book, because there was a reason these stories were written down and told for thousands of years. There is a reason that these books were canonized and it was specifically to teach the, the broader hidden wisdom associated with knowing God. And so I would say the Bible as a historical document I think there is very little there that holds up to historical scrutiny, albeit we will never know. I think, however, all of it was put together for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is to convey the wisdom and the, the secret of knowledge of the creator and love of the creator. And so to me, like, and this is for those of you who have known me for longer than like five or six years, this is a complete reversal of where I was in Christianity, like even 20 it's, years ago, 10, 20 Jesus. years ago. Yeah. So it took me a this long time to get allegorical over Jason. what <laughs> it's allegorical Jason. yeah it's allegorical jason not historical jason not and literal so, jason. you know uh, the big thing here is like if you if you divorce you know something being historically accurate from something being immensely powerful and life-changing like you no longer have to go through the logist, you know, the the logical acrobatics to make the story fit in a literal historical context, and it frees you up to understand the broader intent and go deeper in the exegesis of the authors. So. These episodes are going to come back to haunt me one day. It's funny I know because, it. so, uh, you know. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Because you're so cool to like, hey, I reserve the right to change my mind. Yes. Mm -hmm. What? Impossible. I know. Well, this was a great um, Masonic Jesus Part 2 episode, so thank you for that. That was really good. Um, let's start going around, because I think I'm going to give us a little bit more time to talk through the final question which is is um, the bible historical oh gosh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Final question of tonight is, um, do you believe that theosis or apiathis is achievable in one's current lifetime? Mm. And explain how. That's like or asking if you can ever truly become a master mason in your lifetime. That's why Virginia wears their uh, aprons like fellow crafts. <laughs> Even though they do it wrong. All right, yeah. so uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Jason. Oh, okay. Is it possible to achieve apotheosis in this lifetime? I 100% believe there are men and women who have gotten close. Um, you know, you look at the the Baha'i tradition. Um, if you all haven't uh, checked out like Soul Boom um, by uh, <laughs> by Rain Wilson, um, is you know an absolutely fascinating look into. Um, you know his his faith tradition, but in in the Baha'i faith, I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize in advance. Um, you know, every couple hundred years, it might be 500 years or so. You know, there is someone who is that anointed, exalted speaker who just gets it, and 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 the divine chooses to act through whether that is a Muhammad or Jesus, or, um, you know, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, etc. And I really like to think in those cases, you know, maybe, maybe Enoch came very, very close to achieving apotheosis. There are people who vibrate on a very different level than the rest of us. It doesn't mean they're completely in sync with the divine. Um, because I don't know if someone could be entirely in sync with the divine and reintegrated with the divine and still exist on this plane. Like I, I, I think, I think God operates outside of, of space and time. He's very, very much involved in it, but, you know, almost he's kind of a watcher over, you know, this, this universe that, that is, is bound together by time. Um, and I think, to truly, you know, achieve that full reintegration, one has to transit and, and ascend out of time and space itself. Poof. I, you know, it's the best I got. It's oh. better than I don't know. <laughs> That's the real answer. I don't know. It's a shot in the dark. When nobody really truly knows, right? Oh. Um. Yeah. Except for Joe. Joe knows. He do? Thoughts, Joe? All right. Um, so, I, I think and I believe that for people alive and living in the world today, I think that the process of apotheosis is the journey and not the destination. Um but it's that journey and that, that walking on that path really is that ultimate aim for touching or awakening or reawakening that divine spark that's within us all, right? That part that talks to the divine that's outside of space and time, right? The one that we can't, we can't speak to unless we're, we're actually quiet and, and looking within and not in the distractions of the world. Um, you know, so it's a journey or a path and it's, it's one that everybody can take. Um, it's a process of inner transformation. It's a process of, of self-realization of self-actualization. Um, but each person has to make that conscious decision to 
walk that path and seek to understand more about the divine and attain a, a, a higher plane of consciousness or, or spirituality, right? Um, how you do this? Well, that's the easy part, right? Um, there's many different paths to do it, but primarily it's by walking that path through a defined system that, that the great sages or our great teachers of the past have already laid out for us. You know, that's initiation, right? The process of initiation is the process of awakening that thing that's inside of us, um, purifying our own minds and, and integrating those qualities which we ascribe to the divine here in the world in the here and now. Um, so again, I think it's, it's more about the journey. Um, will we all get murals of us becoming gods like Hercules? Probably not. Um, unless you got a little bit of money, but, um, I got a guy on Fiverr. Fiverr will do it for you for $25. Um, but no, I think, I think the journey is the most important part. It's, it's, it's a journey that walks us through cultivating our virtues, um, learning how to love as human beings, right? Um, how to shut our mouths and understand what wisdom is, how to be truly compassionate people and not just, you know, think that putting a fiver in the collection bin at church is, is showing compassion or showing charity. Um, doing things that are going to elevate our consciousness and, and I guess participate in the divine plan that's all around us. So I think that's the ultimate goal is, is walking that path and walking that journey, um, which will ultimately lead us towards reintegration. So that's the, the, that's my answer. And uh, I hope it's a good one because that's what I plan on doing. So one can hope Robert Johnson. Is it possible to achieve theosis? Yeah. Why not? Lifetime? You probably, uh, everyone probably achieves it at the moment of transition. Um, think about it in a scientific way. Cause that's kind of like how my, my brain works. Uh, you know, earlier I was talking a little bit about uh, kind of the curse of objectivism uh, in that you have studied a lot of things and it becomes almost impossible to select any one thing to put all of your chips on in a sense of, you know, the roulette table or whatever you want to think. And I think ultimately I'm left with this idea of apotheosis is going to happen regardless of whether or not you're ready at the end of your physical life. I think uh, if you achieve a closeness to it whilst living, it presents itself in a way that allows you, the thing that resides in the meat suit, to uh, perceive things at least um, in the most open and sort of true way that they are. And if you can't, right, because the body limits what you can experience to know all that you can know uh, through, you know, scientific inquiry and things like so that you are more aware of all things that exist in and around the, our universe, right? To know that, you know, uh, ultraviolet rays exist and that infrared exists, right? We use those things every day, but to think about uh, all the things that exist that are outside of our realm of uh, uh, experience, to be open to those things, to kind of understand the, there's this interesting idea where I think early on in uh, our religious histories, we've got, uh, you know, platonic forms and then you've got Kabbalah. And I mean, people in masonry love the Kabbalah. Uh, which, you know, that's awesome if you're into it. Um, I just think it's interesting to, like, have to learn something new when it's based on something older that is easier. 
but like those are still bucketed forms and this this thing that's based on you know uh, potentially based i should say on ideals of dualism which is ultimately at the end of the rainbow in all of these systems you know it's kind of revealed that maybe even dualism isn't even real it's all a sort of illusion of separation everything is already one and so the transformation from physical death to the next thing is simply just a realization a reintegration of the self into whatever is the the pool of of existence and and what's important to also understand about this is that this is not like a you can't you can't do this and and say like in my from here to the next place i'm not going to be robert johnson anymore this like third density human being that i am and my consciousness that it that exists will cease to be uh it will merge with the rest uh and you'll find even in in holy scripture you know uh, there, i think there's a, there's a line in uh, masonic uh, verbiage as well that talks about uh, you know uh, a singular praise um and it's probably not directly talking about what i'm talking about but it's an interesting correlation nonetheless um but i think that's really where it comes from and i think something also that um got me thinking about this idea early on was uh, a really cool book that was released uh, by uh, Hensley, uh, who was a, a, a preacher for uh, the United Life Church way back in the beginning. That's the same church everybody goes to to get uh, uh, ordained or whatever, so you can do like a, you know, a wedding or whatever. And he's got this interesting thing in the back of his book. Um, it's his Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, and what he called the Testament of today. And just in the back, he says, somebody asks, do you believe in life after death? And he said, I do not believe that life can die. Only the body changes form. So he's talking about thermodynamics or dynamics. He says, which is what some people call death. I do not believe the body is resurrected out of the ground. I believe the real you or the real person is eternal, having no beginning and certainly no end. The purpose of this testament of today is to awaken your consciousness to this fact that you are an eternal, that you are greater than anything you can think about. It's beyond understanding. It's pow- it is power um, of time. It, it isn't power or time. It just is. And so this is kind of a, a really difficult idea for a lot of people to experience. And this idea of just it is, right? It goes business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's no good. There's no bad. Sorry. Um, everything is in equilibrium, whether you like what happened or not. Uh, and everything just is. And if everything just is, then, yeah, I, I think it, for me, I think everybody will achieve it. I think you know, some people get close to a uh, a realization of oneness at some point in their life, whether they're you know hippy dippy like me or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't really think anybody needs any sort of path to follow. Like it's already happened. You're already doing it. You'll already get there. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I really like the uh, the contrast between some of these answers because they're, they're similar, but they're different in their own ways. Um, the, the path that I'm on ha- is really in the sense of that, like I said in the beginning, it's a spectrum. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons why, but at least just at a, at a gut check level, you know, we can we can always, always think back to someone we grew up with or a neighbor or a friend or someone in a religious community where you're like, that, that person is holy, right? That That, that is a good person and and what sets them aside what what why do we resonate and see that they have elevated themselves their consciousness their spirituality at at a different level a different plane than than where we are for example right so i think that you don't get to 100 percent theosis until you die like um like robert was saying but but i think that there's there's grades there's levels 
that you can you can achieve as you shed off your vices and superfluities and you start you know taking on a more present you know way of living and and trying to do no harm and just live by whatever creed you know that works for you um, as long as it's you know trying to uh, do no harm and, and then be the best you can be uh, and have the best relationship with the divine that, that you follow so uh, I think that's that's where it's where I'm at right now that um, there, that there are levels and that um, we can achieve so, uh, some of that today right now and that um, there's times it's not going to be as easy but there's also going to be times where we're, we're having a good day and we're really in the spirit and we can elevate ourselves that way so um, that that's my hot take this has been a really fascinating conversation um, the the chats were amazing and I wish we could have more time to address all of those uh, but I think uh, everyone comes at it from a different point of view but I think there's a lot of of synergy a lot of related concepts there that really bring bring us back full circle to Freemasonry and that's what we're here to do you know we're here to uh, take good medicine so anyway with that I would want to thank you all very much for watching and we'll see you next week so keep searching for more love have a good night Wow.